with thanks to Bailey's This is the Women's Prize for Fiction podcast. Celebrating women's writing, sharing our creativity, our voices and our perspectives, all while championing the very best fiction written by women around the world. I'm Zing Zing, your host once again for a special edition of the Women's Prize podcast, coming to you every fortnight throughout 2020. You've joined me for a very special episode, which celebrates the launch of the Women's Prize Trust's new writers development program, Discoveries. Today, we'll be speaking to three incredible writers across different forms who offer insight into their writing processes and hopefully inspire your own creative journey, or at the very least, provide you with some really great reading recommendations. Hello and welcome to a special Discoveries episode of the Women's Prize for Fiction podcast. But before we dive into that, our fortnightly reminder that we are still practicing social distancing. So this recording is being done remotely. Please excuse any minor sound hiccups. Now, in honour of the 25th anniversary year of the Women's Prize for Fiction and in recognition of the diverse and exceptional writing talent across the country, the Women's Prize Trust, supported by Nat West and Curtis Brown, launched Discoveries a unique writer's development program offering aspiring female writers of all backgrounds encouragement and support at the beginning of their creative journeys. It launched in late September, so it's running through to late January. Entering writers can be of any age, but you have to be unpublished and submit only the opening three chapters of their novel up to 10,000 words, and it is free to enter. So today, we are delighted to be joined by a bunch of amazing guests, all brilliant writers across different forms, Therese Lola, award-winning poet and 2019 Young People's Laureate for London, Nicole Taylor, the BAFTA-winning screenwriter of Three Girls, and finally, Abby Derry, the international best-selling author of The Girl with the Louding Voice, who also sits on the judging panel for Discoveries. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. Thank you for Thank having you us. Thank you for having us. So I wanted to talk to all of you separately about how you all got started as writers in your different genres, because Discoveries is all about giving new writers encouragement to put pen to paper, which is very daunting. So I'd love to hear about all your separate journeys to becoming a writer. So Teresa, when did you first write your first poem? Do you remember when you first started getting inspiration to write poetry? I think it started when I was in secondary school um so I'd, I loved writing fiction first actually and and then my teacher realizing I enjoyed writing invited me to go on a school trip to the a poetry festival and that was when I realized okay I, I think I would really love to to write poetry that the poem read just really moved me um and it was just a burst of energy and so that was when I started writing poetry so around 12 13. Do you remember what your first poems were about? Oh gosh, just <laughs> teenage angst and it, it was all about, you know, who I was having a crush on, about friends, family, just, you know, in, in my world, what was important then um, made it to my paper, made it to my books. And how would you describe the journey from that to the poetry you're writing now? I think now I I probably will say that I've become a more curious writer. I mean, when you're writing, it's all about when I first started writing, it was all about, you know, just writing about what I was observing, just getting things down. It was a very cathartic tool and it still is. But I think over time, as I've grown as a as a writer, you know, from reading, um, going to workshops, really trying to um, solidify my practice, it's been all about curiosity now. It's not just about writing. I, I feel like now I'm writing with, with intention and I've grown to love 
writing and poetry a lot more um, over the years. And so I, I guess that's a good thing. And it's no, no longer about just, you know, writing out the world. It's, it's more about trying to understand it now. I love the idea of a writing practice because it's really, you know, practice, isn't it? You just need to start putting pen to paper and start getting into the habit of putting words down. Yeah, yeah, well, definitely. I think when you first start off, you know, you're writing heavily and you're writing all the time and you just you just want to, to write something down. Sometimes what happens is you become a lot more conscious of, of yourself as a, as a writer and you can lose that practice because every poem or everything you're writing feels like it has to be this important piece of work. And sometimes you can forget the actual love of writing itself. So it's always good to remember to remember that and keep that practice of writing. I think a lot of people will empathise with that idea of thinking that the thing that you write down has to be the most important groundbreaking piece of work ever written, at least for you. Um, How do you get over that kind of fear and just get into the habit of just writing more? I think just allowing yourself to have some freedom and fun with writing. So sometimes I, you know, try to write about the most random thing, even if it's, you know, the socks I'm wearing or the the piece of fruit I've just eaten or, you know, something that my sister said that I found funny or, you know, the music that my neighbour down the down the street is um it's playing um really loudly. So just writing about the, you know, anything and every everything and what happens is I'm I'm not feeling so much pressure when I then come to the page and I want to write about you know something maybe for a commission or something that I want to expand into a longer piece and sometimes what happens is what you've written subconsciously or or without really thinking so much ends up being your favorite piece of work ends up being the gem that you actually want to expand on and so just give myself freedom to write about a different range of things not just saying oh I'm this writer I write about um, nostalgia or write about family so I'm only going to write poems about family I'm only going to write stories about family but just trying a bunch of of different things and um it allows you to surprise yourself as a as a writer otherwise your work just ends up starting to look the same and it just becomes boring um for you and um maybe for your reader as well and how did you make the jump from figuring out that you really liked writing poetry to thinking you know I can start publishing this I'm going to start you know being a professional writer? I think for everyone that jump is is very different but it's a a really important jump because it changes the way you you write and it changes the way you look at writing. For me it happened while I was at university so I was studying another course entirely. I was studying accounting and and finance and I was getting to the end of my course and I had to make a decision um, on you know what my career was was going to be Um, and I knew that if I chose accounting it would be a lot of commitment um, and I probably wouldn't have time. Well, I would have time to write, but I realised I wouldn't have time to to be a writer in terms of as a career. And that was the changing, uh, you know, moment for me, the defining moment for me, because I realised then writing is really what I I want to to do. Um, I love you know reading books. Um, I love following the journey of a, of a writer, and I want to also be that writer. So for me, that was where that jump came, and so I I started making conscious decisions. So right after uni. Um, I did the Barbican Young Poets Programme, which was a six-month um, poetry development programme, and I started actively making um, time for, for that. And, yeah, just I gave myself a year after uni, and that was the year I was going to to see what life as a writer could possibly be like. Listen, accounting's loss is poetry's gain. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing your journey with us. Thank you. Thank you. And Abby, what about you? Did you know that you always wanted to write fiction? 
Um, no, I mean, I started when I was, I lived in, I was born in Lagos in Nigeria and I lived there for about 19 years of my life. And I, my mother who, um, traveled quite often would, um, come back to meet letters from me, um, under her bedroom door, sort of telling her everything that happened, sort of gossiping. I think that was where that love came from, just relaying my thoughts and feelings into paper. And I, I remember even sort of desecrating the family album with um, putting sort of dialogue, sort of speech bubbles on the images and just making them speak because I wanted them to do that from the age of five. And then when I came to the UK to study, studied law, I remember starting a blog to document my experience um, as an immigrant, as a student, sort of navigating uh, the world in, in London. And then after that, I felt that I could do more with this. I felt that the blog was quite limiting and quite exposing as well because it was really about my life and I wasn't comfortable with how successful it had become, especially within Nigeria. Um, so I turned that into writing fiction and it took me about 10 years of playing around with stories to actually launching out with um, doing anything with with my writing. So that was sort of my journey into discovering fiction, but I love writing fiction now, absolutely for everything. Did you start out, you know, writing fiction that was still sort of linked to your own reality and your own experience, or did you make a really conscious decision to stop writing stuff that was linked to personal experience? Um, I think it's still closely linked to personal experience, but what I try to do now is to put a bit of distance um, between what I'm writing and what I've personally experienced is more about what I've seen around me and turning that around in my mind and creating, I think that's the beauty of creativity is what you can do with it, the control that it gives you. Mm-hmm. And, and I think I allow a lot of that control now to, to happen. You said it took you about 10 years to kind of fully make the jump to writing fiction. What, like, how did that journey take place? You know, a, 10 years is a long time. It's a decade. So what kind of yeah. experimenting were you doing so, in that time? <laughs> I was just writing, sharing with family and friends. And then I think about uh, maybe seven years in to sharing with family and friends and everyone saying, oh, this is great. You should do more with it. I decided to do an MA in creative writing um, because I thought if I can get onto this MA, then then I can, I'm onto something. And so I did my MA in creative writing and that was when I started to write The Girl with a Louding Voice because it was my dissertation, my thesis submission. And then I put that into a competition and, and then I from there um, the publishing process started for me. What was doing the MA like for you? Because I think there's kind of a, a common question that comes up mm-hmm. when people want to start writing fiction is, should I do an MA? Is an MA worth it? So what, what did that uh academic degree do for you I think it it what it allowed me to do mostly was to have like minds in a room you know it was it was an adult sort of MA class in in, in the sense that it was an evening class so everyone had a full-time job and had was juggling everything like I was and so I love that having like minds and having that feedback that essential critique that I needed um to get from um my for my writing which I didn't get from family and friends because everyone loved every every family member loved what I was writing but so diplomatic that way (laughs) (laughs) yes I think it's just having that and obviously understanding the theory of writing I'd never looked at writing as a theory I I didn't understand why anyone would teach writing until I went onto the course and I think it allowed me to read novels as a writer which can sometimes be limiting because you are scrutinizing every sentence 
or underlining every sentence and and awing and gasping at the writer's ingenuity. So I think that was the biggest part for me was was reading, learning to read as a writer and understanding theory of writing and that experience of sharing, getting workshopping my my writing, getting feedback, which was crucial to to my improvement. And in terms of, you know, you talked about having this writing community around you when you did mm-hmm. your MA. Do you still have that kind of community of people you workshop ideas with or give feedback to? Yes, we still try <laughs> to meet regularly um, once, I think it's once in two weeks or, or so, um, on an evening now on Zoom. Um, but before all of this happened, we used to meet in a cafe in London and we would just share, share, share our work and give feedback to it. And I think that that is one thing I would never do without. It is so crucial for me to have that good feedback before anyone else sees, sees what I'm working on. And how early on do you show people what you're working on? As early as I've written something a Monday night and I share it on, on a Tuesday morning. <laughs> so wow. really, I really have that, you know, because I, I they've seen everything, right? They, they, they knew when I couldn't write properly, I think. And they've sort of seen that journey. So I can share that with them, but with just them, no one else. <laughs> I love that. That's kind of just speaks to how intimate someone you can get with a group of like-minded people mm-hmm. where you can just share something you've just written off the cuff the night before mm-hmm. well thank you so much for sharing your journey with us nicole we're on to a very different genre of screenwriting so this is really interesting because i wonder if you have you know heard the stories of the other writers is there anything in their journey that kind of has parallels to how you got interested in screenwriting? Yes, I don't know whether it's a coincidence or whether you invited all three of us deliberately because we've all got a very sensible prior career or background in law or accountancy. But I too was a lawyer. Um, I read law at university. I went and became a solicitor. And yeah, I didn't start writing professionally until I was 27. Right. And what kind of made you take the leap of faith? I'd always written. It was always just my single passion. I'd always kept a notebook, um, just recording mostly things that people said. And I was always writing stories and the usual adolescent poetry. But I'd never known anyone who was a writer. I certainly didn't know there was even such a thing as a writer for television. Um, but I really hated law. It was just a sensible thing to do. Um, and I always harboured a kind of passion to to write. And after I qualified, I quit and I thought I was going to write a novel, actually something that was YA, because that's really what I'd always wanted to do. But then I discovered screenwriting sort of by accident. I'd got a part time job at the BBC writing quiz show questions and things like that um, to support myself while I was trying to write. And while I was there, BBC Scotland uh, were looking for new children's drama. And a friend had just won a copy of Final Draft, which is the screenwriting software in a film quiz. So this sort of unlikely confluence of, of things um meant that I sat down with a software and this competition to apply for and wrote this 20 minute script and in trying to write in that format I just sort of found the thing that I I wanted to do and I could do which is mostly you know writing writing something that was very dialogue led um unlike uh the prose that I'd been trying to write and yet won the competition and it got made and it got me an agent and yeah I was late to start slow to start but once I'd written once I'd found screenwriting once I'd found that format that was me away. It sounds like such a lucky confluence of different factors especially winning 
your final script is it final script final final draft yeah my final, final draft, draft. especially winning yeah. final draft in a pub quiz I know well that wasn't me that was a that was a friend but even for that to happen it was crazy yeah I mean no doubt I've probably um redrafted this to make the story more succinct and reality was more untidy but essentially that is what happened and did you join any kind of writing communities you know to like groups of like-minded people who also wanted to break into film and tv no and I had a real chip on my shoulder being 27 because there were things at that time, I think there still is, the, the Royal Court Young Writers programmes and all sorts of programmes for young writers and 25 was the cutoff. And I felt very much at sea because I couldn't do any, um, participate in any of those groups. And um, I'd have loved to have done that. But one of the wonderful things about working in film and television is that you, it's very collaborative. So although I didn't have peers who were also writing at that time um I had a lot of contact with producers and script editors and I I got a lot out of that and continue to get a lot out of those relationships but I definitely was envying Abby and talking about her writers group and writing something on a Monday night and getting people to read it on a Tuesday and I've never I've never had that kind of peer group and it it feels very um, appealing can I also just add that 27 is not too old for anything (laughs) And that the royal court. Twenty-seven's not too old. Thirty-seven's not too old. Sixty-seven's not too old. But it's just the kind of mindset you have at the beginning, where you feel like a bit of a fraud anyway for trying, and then you feel like you know that ship has sailed. But it certainly hadn't. I'm glad to say. How did you kind of get over that kind of, I guess, insecurity about you know a lot of people think, well, the ship has sailed for me. I'm no longer young 24 year old who can apply for these young writers programs well there's always reasons that you can supply yourself um for why it's not going to be you you're not going to be the one that gets to make a career out of this you're you're not in you know I think most people will most people will have that kind of insecurity and it will manifest in whatever form for me I was like oh I don't have formal education in writing oh I'm I'm getting started a bit old but you know what the I was just compelled to do the work and these are just like voices in your head that you know they come and go and they take different forms and even once you're writing professionally your fraud complex will still um, manifest and take whatever form (laughs) is available to it so I guess because my relationship with writing was always like it was like a compulsion I always did it I always did it for myself um you know nothing was going to stop me especially once I'd finally got the courage to really try and give it give it a go properly so I think there's no moment after which you become a professional writer after there's no moment once you become a professional writer after which you don't have these naysaying voices you still have them you just got to write through them and were there any particular people who are working in film and tv who really gave you inspiration when you were starting out as a writer Mm, I mean I just always have loved and still love the work of Russell T Davies and Sally Wainwright so I think British television is just the best 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 in the world and they are the two particular voices that I loved back then and now I would say those two and Michaela Cole I mean just such amazing writing going on in this country but I've been lucky to have a few mentors as well that's one of the great things about uh, TV and film being collaborative medium so I've had brilliant producers Sue Hogg, Faye Ward, um, I've worked with particularly brilliant female director Philippa Lothorpe so yeah I've, I've been really lucky um, in meeting great producers, also Rowana Ben. I think it just speaks to the idea, you know, you do have a community around you. It might not be a writing group, but it's a community nonetheless. This podcast is made in partnership with Bailey's Irish Cream. 
Bailey's is proudly supporting the Women's Prize for Fiction by helping showcase incredible writing by remarkable women, celebrating their accomplishments and getting more of their books into the hands of more people. Bailey's is the perfect adult treat, whether in coffee, over ice cream or paired with your favourite book. I have to say, after listening to all of your journeys to writing, accounting and law, you know, if anybody listening to this is currently doing accounting or law and thinking about becoming a writer, these three women should be enough to inspire you to maybe maybe don't quit the degree, get the degree, but then, you know, give it a try. Um, next, I'd love to talk to all of you about, you know, your individual writing processes, you know, the kind of average writing day, if you have one at all. Um, Abby, when you were writing The Girl with the Louding Voice, did you do a lot of plot and planning in advance before you started writing or do you just immediately start putting pen to paper? So I think after um, I lost uh, 100,000 words of a piece of writing, when I say no. lost, it was it completely didn't make sense, but I didn't want to stop because right. I just felt it would be admitting defeat. So I kept writing myself into circles um, so I have 100,000 words somewhere. I think it was in 2010 or something, somewhere in my inbox. Um, after that, I made up my mind to never write without having at least an outline. And so for The Girl with the Louding Voice and for every book after that, <laughs> I have an outline that I loosely try to stick to. Um, I try to define the goal, the motivation, and, and what the conflict would be for the character. And, and, and I did that for the girl with the loud voice, but I, I think I departed from it um, towards the second half of the book uh, to the last quarter after mm-hmm. reading. So yes, I, I tend to have um, an outline that I, I want to, sort of a plot outline. And how wedded are you to that outline? If the novel starts to deviate, do you try and rein it back in or do you just let it take its course? I, I let it take its course, but with with a loose um, sort of rein on it because I tried to stay true to what the original idea I had at the start. Really, it's really down to what the character wants, what the, what the motivation of the character is. I tried to stay true to that. And what helps the character to get to that point is what I allow to mm. sort of take its own course. And what about, you know, getting ideas for, you know, books for pieces of writing? You know, where do you find inspiration? How do you gather these ideas? The ideas come from anywhere. Um, the girl with the loud voice came from, yes, there was, you know, my background even in Lagos and having housemaids. But it really started with a conversation with my daughter at, uh, talking, arguing <laughs> about getting the dishwasher um, emptied. I get inspiration from any and everything. And it's amazing how a tiny seed thought can blossom into 100,000 words of fiction. It amazes me all the time. How do you recognize when you have a good idea and that you're onto something? When I can't sleep, when I'm excited about it, when I can't wait to be with the character again, when I can't wait for to spend time with my characters, um, when I'm dreading to write and I'm not looking forward to it and it's just a chore, then I know that, you know, I, I get excited about what I've written on the page. And so if I'm rereading what I've written and there's a flat feeling of, this just not working I think it's instinctive and you know there's a kind of intuition I get with my work right and Nicole when you write scripts do you tend to plan them first in the same way that Abby does or do you just dive straight into a moment of dialogue Um, when I first started doing it I would plan meticulously because um, if I was writing an episode of a series I would have to demonstrate to them that I 
had a plan for the episode they wouldn't just commission me to write 60 pages off the bat I'd have to submit a prose outline of the episode which meant figuring out all the twists and turns and so on and oh gosh they were like very dull documents they're like 20 pages long and I'm I don't do that anymore (laughs) I don't have to do it but also I don't need to do it for my for myself um I think I used to be in such fear of the blank page that I needed to just work everything out in advance um now I can't imagine doing that it would be so deadening um I now I guess I never start until I've had the idea in my head for such a long time so the characters feel real so when I'm writing their dialogue it feels like I'm transcribing existing conversations between real people if I ever am sitting there trying to make things up then that's just I should never be in that position so if I'm writing say a a 60 minute episode um I'll know where the where the turns are as I call it I guess maybe I'll call them like act breaks or something but as I don't have any like you know dramaturgical background I don't really think in terms of acts particularly but for me at this point you sort of know how the rhythm of an episode should feel so I'm writing kind of freely freely but also knowing where I have to sort of where the twists and turns are and where the rhythm has to change and and that sort of thing so I started off I've always been able to write dialogue but obviously had no experience so I was a bit gender on structure you get a lot of help with that when you're starting out with script editors and producers and so on but after been doing it for a while it's sort of in there so I feel more confident to just embark without having a full outline written. And how do you write dialogue that feels really true that you know people can imagine real people saying it as opposed to being fed lines through the page by the author? I think dialogue is something that you probably have to have a bit of a a bit of facility with to start with um on Three Girls, um, mentioning that brilliant director, Philippa Lothorpe again, she um, asked me to come to rehearsals. So once you've got actors in front of you, then you can get rid of a lot of your dialogue because so much, they can play so much just with their faces or with movement. And that was a real education. So for me, the ambition of dialogue is as little as possible um, is the is the, um, is the the target. And yeah, it's not about beautiful writing. It's just about sounding really 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 truthful to that particular character and if you cover up all the characters names on the page you should still be able to tell who's speaking because no one person speaks um the same as any other person and is there a particular place or time where you like writing oh just like abby um the kids thing means that a lot of the writing has to go on in your head uh, while you're doing other things uh and then you 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 can voice record or you can write re notes to yourself. But I've got a relatively new baby and, you know, all night with the breastfeeding and everything, I've always got my characters chatting away in my head. And if they're not chatting, then they're not real and they're for the bin. Uh, so I was really worried before having um, children. How do, you, how do you write if you can't write all the time and whenever you want? But um, the ratio of thinking to writing is so much, um, there's so much more thinking that is required than than writing. So I don't mind if my writing life is a little bit more haphazard than it used to be, because um, thinking can happen anywhere. And Teresa, what about you? Because I guess the thing is, is poetry, it's much shorter in length than a script or a novel. How do you distinguish the good ideas from nuggets of poetry versus the ones where you should just leave them alone and 
before you develop them into any further? Well, I try to give every poem a, a chance. <laughs> um, I always try to give it maybe first, second, third chance. And, and sometimes it takes years to develop a poem. So it could just mean it's not time yet for that you know poem to be developed. Sometimes you come back to it um, three years later, or sometimes it just takes um, two weeks. But I always you know enter the poem first with a, a rough story. So what am I really interested and curious about uncovering? Um, is it, you know, something I saw on the train? Is it a conversation I heard? Um, and then I enter that story with, you know, one driving device. So it's a way I think would be a very interesting way to tell the story. So um, it would maybe a conversational form, a conversation between two characters or objects, or maybe a metaphor um, or a particular form like a sonnet. So, you know, what would be the interesting way to tell that story? Um, and when I do that, I then come back to the poem and, and see if there's anything else that's popping up. Um, so, you know, maybe there's something really interesting happening with sound or happening with place in this poem. And then I and then I'm able to, to edit it. And that gives me a sense of control, but also gives the poem freedom. And so it just a, a, gives the poem a chance to to do what it wants to, to do. Um, also, and if, you, if I've done a lot of that and the poem is still not working or I, I read the poem, and I'm not excited about it. And by excited, I mean, I read it and I feel like it's not telling me anything new. It's telling me what I already know. It's just narrating back um, what I've observed back to me. And that poem hasn't done its job. Um, the poem is supposed to, what I feel is supposed to excite the, the writer um, and then it would excite the, the reader. Um, so when I've done that and the poem is still not working, I give it space. I try not to scrap it immediately. Or sometimes it might just mean that the poem is supposed to be a few lines. Um, I think sometimes, especially, you know, if, if you're a poet who shares your work, often there's often this pressure of your poem being, you know, really long and telling this, you know, long narrative story. But sometimes a poem just wants to be four lines or maybe it wants to be a, a page or two. Um, so giving that space to to edit and do all those things before deciding that this poem needs to be needs to be scrapped. Or maybe I'm just being a bit too kind to the, to the poems. But what that's what I tend to do. I love the idea of, you know, the poems are there and they already have this idea of the direction that they should be going into and you're really trying to just channel the desire of that poem to reach its end point. Is that what it feels like to you when you're working on redrafting poetry? Yeah, definitely. I think that, you know, given it, you, you, well, I when I enter a poem, I try to give it a sense of direction but still give it freedom because if I'm completely in control when I'm writing that poem, um, I don't feel I'm really tapping into the excitement of writing or, or tapping into the, the power of writing. I'm just, I'm not giving myself enough freedom um, to generate new ideas as I'm writing it. I'm just going into the poem with the idea I already, um, already have. So giving the poem a chance to, to be what it wants to be, because that's the only way that it will come out to the best. Um, that's the only way it would be the best poem it intends to, to be. If you force it, then it's just going to sound like something that you want to, to hear and something that you already no, it's not exciting you anymore. And how do you know when the poem is finished and you should, you know, stop revisiting it? It's just, it's arrived at the end point. I don't think any poet ever knows when to finish a poem. I don't know what it is about poetry, but even after a poet has published their book, you still want to do some editing. I don't know if it says something about us poets. Um, but for me, I know a poem is finished if I feel at peace with it. Um and by peace, it doesn't mean, you know, I read the poem and I don't feel the wounds of what I've written about anymore. But it just means 
the, the poem is, you know, resting where it needs to be. Um, there is no more, if I'm trying to edit the poem, the poem is not really giving me space to do that because the poem is content where it is. And where do you tend to write? You know, both Abby and Nicole talked about voice notes uh, and just sending messages to themselves on their phone. Is that kind of something that you do as well? Or do you have a very particular kind of writing habit? You have to be at a certain room somewhere in the house or it has to be a certain time of day. You know, it's interesting because I just changed my the way I write during lockdown. I actually just changed it because before I would, and I think this was because you know I was writing a lot in transit, so writing on trains on my way to places or planes or while I'm you know walking or something, and I would always write on my phone. Um, but recently I had you know quite a massive migraine, um, and I found that I use screens quite a lot. I was always on my phone and my laptop. So I decided to start writing on um, paper again. So I picked up my notebook again. Um, I found it much more free and I can write anywhere, um, but my bed really is the, the place I love to write because it makes me most, I like to write in a place I feel most comfortable. I like it. It's a very analog situation for a digital age. So during lockdown, obviously people haven't really been getting out as much as they usually are. You know, where do you gather ideas for your writing if, you know, people aren't out and about in the same way that they used to be? I think it's about, well, two things. One is, you know, trying to still keep yourself busy. So for me, it was, I've been reading a lot and, and watching a lot of films and, and TV series and, and, and documentaries and ideas have actually come from, from them. So whether it's a scene and I see a conversation between two characters and I'm like oh that reminds me of you know something that I saw a few years ago or something I've experienced so I would really like to know more about that I'm curious about that then I write about it um but also in lockdown there are still a lot of inspirations and there's a lot of um, negotiations of relationships that's happened definitely during this pandemic and that is also a source of inspiration um you know now all of us are at home my siblings and my my mum we're all at home and we've not been at home like this in in years um so it feels like we're you know my siblings and I that we're like you know seven years old all, all at home again that's definitely you know something interesting to write about um so I I think I've tried to try to be as positive as, as possible and and you know just see it as um a, a new source of inspiration rather than you know um there is nothing to write about because I'm no longer um, in contact with the world in the same way I was before. I think that's a really great way of looking at it. Now finally I wanted to ask all of you about the highs and lows of writing because I think this is something our discoveries entrants might well have encountered when they're preparing their first three chapters for submission. So how do you stay motivated when the going gets tough or you're not feeling inspired or it's getting to be a bit of a slog, you know? Um, Nicole, how do you stay motivated through a bad writing day? Deadlines. And if you don't, that's why it's so great um, to have a competition to uh, apply to or something, or a scheme to apply to or a competition to enter, because then you've got a deadline. Um, I really can't do it without a deadline anymore. And that's from someone who used to be such a school swat and do my homework on the day it was issued. But uh, no, I need, I need a looming deadline. And if it's not going well, I've done this now for long enough to know that if it's a rubbish day today, it might be a good day tomorrow. You can have whole weeks that are rubbish and then you can have a day where you are just on fire and you leave your desk thinking you're a genius. You're just going to have days that you think you're an idiot and the idea will never work. And other days you you overestimate how good it is. And that's just part of it. And sort of riding those 
um, extremes. And also, if it's not going well at my desk, then I'll just often go out for a walk. Um, and if I go out for a walk, it sort of shakes something loose and then I can hear the characters chatting to each other again. But if you're having a bad writing day, the key thing is to not draw conclusions about the value of the work overall, um, not take them too seriously um, and you don't torpedo yourself. Um, that's why, again, it's so good to have like Abby's got like a writing group or me producers because Sue Hogg, my um, producer on Three Girls, says often her job is just to get me to not throw things away. And there's a difference between having a bad writing day and just, you know, write, you just going with it and writing it off and then having one and thinking, right, this is crap. I'm going to stop this idea. I'm going to start another one. You know, don't do that. Don't be blown hither and thither by the winds of your own uh, moods. Just try to get to the end of the thing. And if it's not going to happen today, it will happen tomorrow or it will happen next week. And do you set your own deadlines? Do those work or do they have to be deadlines set on you externally? No way. Externally. Externally all the way. Uh-huh. Teresa, what about you? How do you stay motivated when, you know, the going gets tough? Mm-hmm. I definitely agree with deadlines. I, I kind of driven on, on deadlines. I do like it because it definitely enhances your discipline as a writer. I think also maybe having write, a writing partner or writing group um it could be a writing partner and you both set yourself you know deadlines and say i'm going to send you something you know once every two weeks and you also send something back and we give each other feedback um it just also helps so you're not living in, in a bubble um and you're getting to read other people's work as, as well keeping that community how do all of you juggle the responsibilities that you do have especially those of you who have children around your writing, because I think that's a really big concern for writers who are just starting out. You know, how do I balance my family commitments, my work commitments against what I want to do as a writer? Nicole, how do you, how, what would you advise? It's really hard and I feel really lucky that um, I got started before I had children because I feel like I taught myself how to do this and it took a really long time and for years I didn't, I didn't really do much other than work and just keep chipping away at it and try to figure out how to do it and build my confidence up and all that's taken a long time and I was able to do it uninterrupted um if I was starting now with young children I would it would definitely I don't want to be discouraging to anyone in this situation but I I would find that very difficult um because there was a period where I was able to just focus on writing exclusively um but it's true what people say that when you've got many, many tasks, you just become more focused. You can just get more done. So, yeah, I'm glad I had an experience of being able to just focus exclusively on the work for a good long while before kids came along. And now I find writing very complimentary uh, because, to, to you know, you can you can do more than one thing. You should do more than one thing. And that includes, by the way, uh, having another job, which I think writers don't talk about. And I hope that that's encouraging for people who are submitting work to this competition. Um, anything that you do out with writing, just, of course, feeds the writing, whether it's looking after children or or having a day job. So, yeah, don't be discouraged on any count. And if you are discouraged on a Wednesday, just, you know, show up again on a Thursday. I think there's a lot to be said for the value of just showing up and trusting in yourself to do the work. Abby, what about you? 
I I am one of those who <laughs> I've always had a day job um, in pharmaceutical technology. So it's I work with very smart people. And um, I think that really is inspiring. So what I tend to do is I tend to write in snatches of time. And it's funny because I'm now almost scared to have all that time um, to write fully. I, I don't know what I'll do with myself. I, I Because I'm so used to writing on weekends and at night when the kids are asleep or first thing in the morning while I'm having coffee um, before I get them up for school or to homeschool when we were um, homeschooling. Um, yeah, it, I think that's made me very driven and determined to finish. Not having that luxury of time allows me to be very driven and determined to finish a piece of work. Um, sometimes that piece of work is not publishable, but I tend to say to myself, one year, in one year, I will write 100,000 words of of fiction and then I could spend the next year um, editing that so I just steal time where wherever it comes from and Teresa what is the best piece of writing advice that you've ever been given the best advice I've been given is to try and take risks sometimes to do something different sometimes to um, use a new form that I haven't used before to play with language in a new way I haven't done before and so to switch it up once in a while and you know come almost like a relationship just switch it up and do something new um, once in a while keep yourself excited as a as a writer that's the best advice I've gotten so far keep it spicy for yourself as a writer <laughs> yes <laughs> Nicole, what about you? What was the best piece of writing advice you've been given? Mm, I think just finish the thing, even if you're having doubts about it, rather than chuck it. Just don't chuck it. Just try to get to the end of it so at least you can print it out and have a look at it. And that's really where it all begins. Once you've got a vomit draft of something, then you read it back. It tells you what you need to do next, but you never get to that stage if you just keep abandoning things. So I would say try to get to the end of whatever you're working on. Abby, would you agree that there's, you know, a value in finishing things? What kind of writing advice have you been Absolutely. given? Absolutely. I, I agree in finishing. I think it's from when you finish that you can start um, again and, and make sense of it. In addition to that, um, to what they've both said, I, I think for me, it's also be willing and um you know sort of submit yourself to learn from other writers who've done something similar maybe not something similar i find that i learn a lot from reading other writers uh for me that's been one of the biggest lessons and i think learning to read as a writer so when i'm reading a novel i tend to read first for the story and then i go back and and then learn and then read as a writer which is what i said before so i think um that's such a valuable thing for me um, I always edit with other books beside me. And, you know, in terms of 2020 as a year, you know, obviously there's this whole idea that, you know, 2020 has been a rubbish year. It's been the year of lockdown. But I'm really curious to know about uh, the, your creative experiences of 2020 as writers. You know, has this year allowed you to be more creative? What kind of writing have you been reading? Has lockdown led you to have more time to discover writers that you wouldn't have encountered before? Teresa, how about you? What do you think? I mean, lockdown has, in some ways, it has given me more time to to read um, coming in. I did have um, a set thing I wanted to write before lockdown happened, before the pandemic happened. So I, it's just been a case of pushing myself to to continue that and pushing myself to to do that. So it's really been about motivating myself as much as possible. And Nicole, what about you? Do you think that, you know, 
2020 as a year itself, you know, the period that we're living in is going to be kind of fertile territory for you as a scriptwriter? Gosh, that's a good question. Um, I saw that Jack Thorne is already writing or might already have written something for Channel 4 about the experience um, of staff in care, staff and patients in care homes. And because it's written by him and he's so amazing, I can't wait to see it. And it's got Stephen Graham in it um, and Jodie Comer as well. But part of me also thinks, gosh, it feels too soon. It would be so hard to look at art about this period for a very long time, I think, because I think just a certain amount of time has to elapse before we're ready to look at it again and before we want to think about it or try to process it. So I've got no predictions, um, but I found for television, it's quite interesting what's happened. Um, I had a series um, that went out just at the beginning of the first lockdown and it went out week to week because it wasn't finished. It couldn't go on iPlayer as a box set because um, we were still finishing it uh, when lockdown started. And it was really fun at the beginning to have something go out week to week and people had nothing better to do than watch The Nest and talk about The Nest. And I feel like it's elevated television to this thing that people have really depended on because there's nothing else to do. And mm-hmm. so in that time, there's been a couple of like things that have been shared experiences like normal people, um, mm-hmm. like I May Destroy You. But um, apart from that, I mean... I just got on with looking after my baby and tried to think about the next thing I'm writing, you know, in the middle of the night or whenever I can. And Abby, what about you? Do you think 2020 has allowed you to be more creative? Has it led you to discover more art writers? I think I struggled um, with my creativity. So I had my book come out in March and then we went straight into the lockdown the week after. And so with two children at home and the uncertainty of, what was going on in, in the world. I went into a sort of reading slump and a creativity freeze. Um, and that went on for a while. And because I was also trying to homeschool two kids, which I absolutely hated doing. <laughs> I think I'm not meant to be a teacher, but I, I loved being with my kids, but I, I'm just not meant to teach them anything um, academic. So that was really tough. And and then also trying to write as well was really difficult um, because I was never the writer that would write at home. And that was, you know, in well, at home when everybody else was there. So it was either people were asleep or, or yeah, people were asleep really, middle of the night or first thing in the morning or weekends in a cafe. So having the cafe shut was really hard. So I've had to learn to write at home. And I now love writing at home. So it took me a good, I think it took me a good five months or so to slowly come out of that slump and start to pick up words again and try to get creative so it was really difficult for me during the lockdown right but I guess the important thing is you know you can go through slumps and you can exit them which I think is you know good for people to hear as well Finally, are there any new writers that you'd like to recommend or give a shout out to? I'm very excited about um, Nima Shah's Kololo Hill which is out um, next year Um, it's a story set in in Uganda and it's sort of a migration story, which I'm really, really excited about. And and there's another um, author called Abide Misanusi, who's a Nigerian author, uh, whose novel is Looking for Bona, who's just come out, actually, last um, month. Um, very, very interesting story that I've just started to read. So. What about you, Teresa? I would say Rachel Long. Her poetry collection has just recently um, come out, but it's very narrative and has this surreal tinge to it in this dark humor that I, I think, you know, writers of other genres would really appreciate. 
and also Teresa Ikoko. Not because we share a name together, but I think that she is a brilliant writer. She was co-writer of the of the film um, Rocks, um, which got quite good reviews. So I think that she's um, and she's also a playwright as well. So I'll definitely recommend um, her as well. And Nicole, what about you? Uh, Teresa's pinched my one. I was going to say Teresa Ikoko and uh, Claire Oakley, her co-writer on Rocks. Oh, Rocks, just best film of I've seen in many a year just absolutely destroyed me I think Teresa is amazing I can't wait to see what she does next there's another girl who's just at the beginning of her career called Celia Morgan um she is from Birmingham and she is she plays the tuba and she writes really interesting stuff and I think she's really gonna pop this year uh yeah and there's another girl called Amelia Spencer who's writing interesting um it's written an interesting screenplay, but definitely Teresa Coco is my one, my one to watch. I can co-sign that because I watched Rocks recently and it absolutely blew Isn't me away. Wonderful, cried like a baby, which I wasn't expecting. But you know, there you go. It's twenty twenty. We all need a little <laughs> bit of respite. <laughs> but thank you so much, everyone, for joining me on this podcast. I think, well, I hope that the things that you've said, the tips that you've given, will hopefully give a lot of people food for thought. Thank you. I'm Zing Zing, and you've been listening to the Women's Prize for Fiction podcast, brought to you by Baileys and produced by Birdline Media. If you're a budding writer and have been inspired by what you've heard today, why not enter Discoveries? We want to encourage female writers of all ages and backgrounds at the beginning of their creative journeys. Entering writers have to be unpublished and submit only the opening three chapters of their novel, or up to 10,000 words, with a synopsis. And it is free to enter. Head to the Women's Prize of Fiction website for more information as well as tips and advice for preparing your entry. The closing date is January 17, 2021. Please click subscribe and don't forget to rate and review this podcast. It really helps spread the word about the female talent you've heard about today. Thanks very much for listening and see you next time. 